You know that's from Herschel? No. That's from Mega Man. It's when you uh it's when you select a stage and then it shows you the boss. That's the music that plays. And then he like sticks his hand up in the air and then it says chill penguin or whatever underneath. Uh all right, Herschel. Hello. How you doing? Hello everybody. And welcome to the inaugural episode of Bumblebutt Podcast X. 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 Thank you for the echo effect there. This is the mystery co-host that I've talked about on Instagram. It's not really a mystery. And oh so much. It's a mystery to them. And his name is Herschel. Hello, Herschel. Hey, Mom. What's up? How do we know each other, Herschel? Work. Work. Past, definitely. Past work. Yeah. That's for sure. And we've just been keeping up a relationship. Keeping up uh, uh, relations. I did have relations with that Herschel. <laughs> uh, so that's, oh boy. Now we're getting the, the fake penguin laughing. Ah, uh, Jesus, everybody. So this is Bumblebutt Podcast X. You know, not too mm-hmm. much is going to change. We're going to miss Cody. Mm-hmm. But Herschel Coasters. is not here to fill Cody's shoes. Mm-mm. He's here. To create a whole new style of shoes, and mm-hmm. he will walk in them, and you will love him. I know you will, because I love him. He's, He's such a cutie. Today, Herschel, this is your very first case, all right? what's One of the first things we used to do together on break times, and we were hanging out, is watch Drink Champs. Drink Champs. Noriega's podcast. Noriega being the rapper. We love him. We love him. He did some great interviews with, the ones I remember the most are Royce. Uh, what's his name? Bought wings for everybody. Ricky, Twenty piece. Yeah, Ricky Rose. Ricky Rose. Uh, Rose. Mm. Just for the wings. Oh, that's a good deal. Remember when he had meth and red on there? Mm-hmm. And they were talking about how backwoods sucks and all that shit. Don't don't smoke backwoods. Problem and, with backwoods, and, they fall apart on you. Yeah, they fall apart on you, and they're expensive. I did so. see somebody trying to smoke um rose rose petals. Oh, that's got to be bad for you, right? Although I have heard that that's kind of the hip thing right now. No, okay. Rose petal cigarettes and shit. Did the prices of roses go up? I think the prices of roses are at an all-time high now that these kids are smoking roses. Mm. Remember when people used to smoke banana peels to think that would get them high? All right. (laughs) I don't think it works one way or the other. That's hilarious. So, to bring up Nori, why we were talking about Mr. Mm. Noriega, uh... We're going to talk about the guy who he got his name from. And his name is General Manuel Antonio Noriega. Damn. That's a bunch of first names. (laughs) Not since the days of Julius Caesar has one nation ordered a full-scale military invasion of another nation with the sole purpose of bringing its ruler to trial. On December 20th, 1989, U.S. President George Bush, the first one, did just that, sending 24,000 troops into Panama to capture their leader, General Manuel Antonio Noriega. The self-appointed maximum ruler was to answer for the crimes of drug trafficking, money laundering, and arms dealing. Mm. The U.S. alleged that Noriega and his Panamanian Defense Force had facilitated a safe haven for gunrunners, drug smugglers, mercenary forces, and sex rings, basically becoming a modern-day Moss Eisley. There was direct evidence of Noriega hosting Colombian cartel leaders at his palace, as well as opening his ports to cartel ships and performing absolutely no customs checks. Mm. 
If you wanted to set up shop in Panama, and that included literally setting up state-of-the-art cocaine production facilities, the general better get his cut. He did not care where the money was coming from, but he knew in order to stay in power, money had to come in constantly, and the hottest currency of the day was the United States dollar. Those that didn't pay their fair share were handed over to the DEA or CIA, who were always looking for juicy gun runners or drug lords to lock up for smuggling bad stuff into the U.S. Mm -hmm. For this rattery, Noriega was given several medals, awards, and trophies for his help to the two crime-stopping organizations. So they literally gave him gold medals, Olympic gold medals for his help to the DEA shutting down drug smuggling. Meanwhile, he was the leader of the uh, cocaine superhighway into America, basically. Oh, so he's the guy that's been providing pleasure. Many Americans. Many Americanos have gotten their houses spick and span because of, uh, <laughs> clean from top to bottom because of this cocaine. Mm, rubbing them gums. <laughs> the CIA has reports and evidence proving that Panamanian Defense Force officials had lent guns to the Sandinista rebels fighting to overthrow the Nicaraguan dictator Anastasio Somoza. And as soon as they overthrew Anastasio, they started selling guns to the followers of Somoza to win the country back. Notice how I said PDF officials, though. Noriega was always steps and steps removed from these deals officially. You're really not supposed to play both sides. You're not supposed to arm the rebels and then also, once they win, arm the opposition to the rebels. Eh. But it's also, the U.S. has been doing that in the Middle East for quite some time. Mm -hmm. We armed Saddam Hussein and then killed him. You know what I mean? It's pretty fucked up. I'd say. We armed Bin Laden. Gave him everything that he needed. If America is so loud and proud about being the anti-drug police of the entire planet, why didn't Ronald Reagan and his just-say-no-bitch-of-a-wife publicly (laughs) condemn the general instead of having dinner with him whenever he was in D.C.? Well, Herschel, I'll tell you. Have you ever heard of the Panama Canal? Yeah. Before 1919, in order to ship goods from east coast of the U.S. to west coast of the U.S., Mm. you would have to sail your goods 3,500 extra miles and go all along South America, or try your luck going the 2,000 extra miles north through the Bering Strait, where you were sure to get stuck in the ice fields and Mm. freeze to death. Mm. Not only that, ships traveling between Europe and East Asia or Europe to Australia would save up to 2,000 miles cutting right through Panama instead of going all the way around. This was a global service that still saves a lot of time and trouble to this very day. In 1902, the U.S. Congress authorized Teddy Roosevelt to pay $40 million to the Colombians, who were the rulers of Panama at the time, for the strip of land through Panama in which the canal would be dug. With all of the U.S. naval activity in the water around the Isthmus, Panama declared herself independent in 1903, knowing full well the Colombians couldn't strike back or the U.S. would destroy them. They just going to let everything go through mm-hmm. at that point. <laughs> the U.S. got to work digging the canal in 1904 and wrapped up construction in 1914. Things went pretty smooth operationally for a while, but naturally the Panamanians started getting pissed about the constant American presence in their country. Nobody wants a foreign military presence in their country for too long. Things got to a boiling point in 1977, which led to the Panama Canal Treaty of 1977. The U.S. agreed to give up their claim to the canal 
giving all territorial rights back to Panama in exchange for being allowed to manage and run the canal until 1999, Mm. at which time the U.S. would also yank all of their military bases from the country. This was actually (laughs) a good game for for Panama because they don't know how to just straight up run that canal at this point. Mm. They don't know how to collect the fees or taxes or any of that kind of stuff, right? Okay. So, for the next 22 years, America would help uh, phase them into being able to run their own canal. And now they do. It's it's run by the government. It's the Mom Panama Canal Organization. Uh-huh. So. And they don't... And there's no... U.S. is gone. Period. Gone. Bases shuttered in 99. That's a first. Yeah. Saying they're going to get out and getting out. <laughs> The U.S. needed ready and permanent access to this canal, and every president since Jimmy Carter had been forced to turn a blind eye to Noriega's drug lord ways. After all, it would be a cataclysmic hit to the U.S. economy if the most important shipping shortcut in the world was closed off to them. You want to talk a little bit about the early days of the Republic of Panama? Not really, but we're going to do this. Let's do it. Panama is an S-shaped isthmus, roughly the land size of Virginia, and it not only joins together North and South America, it separates the Atlantic Ocean from the Pacific Ocean. So it's a pretty unique place on the planet. Its population is about 3.3 million, which is comparable to the state of Utah. When the Spaniards sailed to the New World in the 1500s, There was a multitude of Native American tribes living in Panama. Well, they were removed and enslaved as Panama became the capital of Spanish operations in the region all the way until 1730. In 1821, fed up with foreign rule, Panama cast off their colonial masters and immediately joined the Colombian Union with their neighbors to the south. So they said, fuck you, Spain. We want to be our own country. And then they did, and then they were like, Colombia, we want to be Colombia now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fucking country, dude. The Oprah Riffy Network. Yeah. (laughs) The Republic of Panama adopted their first constitution in 1904. From there, a provision was added to allow popular election of president and vice president in 1919. But things remained tumultuous. Presidents were elected, deposed, exiled, and killed one after the other after the other. (laughs) That is until 1968. But let's talk about our main character's beginnings before we transport to the coup of 1968. Is Panama like a country for like families? You know how like they do like uh, like a country like 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 the mafia, like oh this this crime family or the Mm. Italians this crime family is that like. Herschel, you've activated my trap card. <laughs> We're going to talk about that a little later on, actually. Okay. We're okay. going to talk about the uh, uh, RICO, you know, RICO, okay, yeah. racketeering mm-hmm. uh, influenced yeah, crime organization. Yep. And that's, I mean, that all ties in. Great job. Good question. Manuel Antonio Noriega Moreno was born in Panama City to a poor mixed race or mestizo family Mm -hmm. that combined Native American, Spanish, and African heritage. The year of his birth is officially unknown. He himself has given the dates as February 11th, 1934, 36, and 38. There's no official record keeping at that time of birth. So nobody knows his actual actual. So do you age. think this kind of ties into my boy over there, Drake Champs, Noriega? Because he's so old. No, no, just, <laughs> just the kidding. the mixture of 
of uh, Indian. I'm sorry, <laughs> the mixture of Native oh, American. Oh, because he's a mestizo. Yeah. Wow. Do you think that's? Why oh my God. Is? Well, I think he did it because of the cocaine and the drug. <laughs> well, yeah, but but I mean, it, you know, you what? know how it's definitely cocaine. But drugs. you know how rappers and work on multiple I do. levels. I do, yeah. but this is Noriega. It is Noriega. Go to the internet, www.nori.com. This is Nori, though. What we get from Nori, that's what I'm saying. Like, yo. You can find me on the internet. And he says it himself, too. Like, yo, yeah, man. And I respect (laughs) that, too. Yeah. I do, too. Because you know what? He was was a bad boy, and he got himself together. Yeah, it is what it is. Good job, Nori. Noriega's father was an accountant, and he had several girlfriends. He was not married to Nori's mother, who worked both as a laundress and a cook at a restaurant. No, oh, okay. She died of tuberculosis when Noriega was just a baby, and his father died near his fifth birthday. He was an orphan now and raised by his godmother. In college, Manuel joined up with a left-wing socialist radical group whose main mission was the removal of American troops from Panama. He began narking on his comrades right away. This time period is when it is believed he became super friendly with the CIA and other American intelligence officials. So he's been a rat. Yeah, here we go. Since way back. Rataroo, ratatootie, motherfucker. It's cool, though, because everybody do it. It's Can not cool. It. Yeah. It's not cool, but... Try not to be that much of a rat. I mean, not like that. Not narking to foreign intelligence agencies yeah. on people. Yeah. Like, oh, they it's did. because they didn't pay their cut. That's why yeah. they didn't pay yeah. the Nori if, tax. Yeah. If everything's genuine, I guess. But, you know what I'm saying? But if you're doing it just to collect something. That you're a bad boy. You're a rat. You're a rata. Dude. We sound like uh, 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 an airport over here. <laughs> jets taking Woo! off. <laughs> Noriega originally wanted to be a doctor but was unable to qualify for entry into University of Panama's medical school, so he instead got a scholarship at the Chorillos Military Academy in the late 60s. What, was his grade shitty or something? Uh, so, in Panama Medical School, it's like a lottery. Only 10, 15 new patients were getting, or not patients. Nah, I, I get it. <laughs> Students were getting yeah. accepted a year. So, so, but they had to come from high school, or it didn't... College. To get into the medical school, yeah. right, 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 mm-hmm. right. So mm-hmm. that had to come from. So how was his college grades? Good. I mean, they were fine. They just weren't top. And he was going that way too. That's what he wanted to do. That's the path he wanted to go down. So he just didn't get. That's pretty fucked up, though. That's man. fucked up. I mean, yeah, but because you that think shit about happens it, here all the time. Yeah, nah. And they it don't does. end up it's, becoming it's, dictators. And but just ten, though, we do more than ten. We do, and I don't. That's may not be an accurate number on my part, but it's not many. But at the same time, too, this dude, and I guess that's what led him to a life of crime, where you get shut down like that. You know, when your dreams get taken away from you. I could actually see that. Dreams are getting crushed. Fuck it. I'm finna do some other shit. Yeah. I'm gonna make this money somehow. Yeah, dude, you have to. Yeah. Like, I done, I done did this for so long. Like, we talk about ball players. Like, I done did this for so long, and I break my fucking um, ankle or tear it up. Like, dude, that's just the only thing I know. They took the weights. What am I supposed to do now? Sell used cars? Am I supposed to be Charles from Ballers? It's not. It's not hope not, man. Save some bread up, but shit, this is. It's hard to save bread sometimes. Yes, it is because guess what? It goes out as fast as it yeah. comes in. Yeah. 
People are holding their hands out for it the second I get a paycheck. Mm-hmm. Manuel. In the late 60s, Manuel married his wife, Felicidad, and the couple would have three daughters. <laughs> Noriega was constantly unfaithful to his wife, like father, like son, and Felicidad even threatened divorce at one point, but something made her have a change of heart. Mm. I don't know what that is, but I'm sure it was probably a back of the hand. So wait, go back. She had a change of heart to what? To divorce him. She wanted to divorce him. And, and then this she is had following the you not getting into medical school. No, no, so no. She's gonna break up. No, with him, him fucking. Is... He fucked every girl. He was constantly unfaithful to his wife, I just mean, like his shit. dad. Was they married? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's bogus. Yeah, that's you bogus. You did say all that shit. I did say all me. that shit. That's all right. Look, that's bogus as fuck. Yeah, look, look. If you, if y'all just dating and shit, and you cheat, it's bogus. But that's not super bogus. It's not like life. Yeah, like because dude, now you this is like almost sacred. Like the energy just put into oh, it. Yeah. Not even like the government thing will be oh, go to the piece of paper. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's like, the emotions dude, yeah, and the, bro. the time that have been you know melded you, into you know this relationship. Some, and, and I guess some people may, may say even without the papers, y'all still just dating. But I don't believe yeah, it. fuck that shit. You know who yeah. says that? People that need to. Why do you need to know my business? Why? Man, why does why anybody do need, need to, to know, know my, my business? business? Yeah. Get fucked. Yeah, go please. No condoms. No condom. Get that AIDS. Yeah, get that. Get those AIDS. Get those AIDS. <laughs> Did you know there was a weight loss supplement in the 80s called AIDS right before AIDS happened? Ooh. And it was like the commercials were like, I lost 30 pounds with AIDS. <laughs> Man, the government bogus. They were selling that shit before they... That's where the conspiracy came from. I mean, they bogus, man. I, mean, I lost 80 pounds yeah. and I died of a cold <laughs> because I got AIDS. That's what I'm up. easy. Upon graduation from Chorillos Military Academy in 1962, Noriega immediately enlisted in the National Guard, where he was commissioned as a second lieutenant because of his schooling. Damn. Noriega was trouble from the beginning of his new commission. The very first month, he was accused of beating and raping a prostitute and needed his higher-ups to bail him out. Do you think he did that shit? Yes. He, d- he keeps doing it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a... forever. Like, he, I mean, he, he keeps doing it. Yeah. Woo! Two years later, in 1964, the sitting president of Panama, Roberto Chiari, ordered Noriega's unit to go harass his political opponents mm. by arresting and firing them for every little violation they could find. It's like when Carcetti did that in Wire, when he mm. when he sent the police out to like uh, like harass people. Noriega took it way too far. Several came out with obvious signs of torture, including broken bones, and a good percentage accused Noriega and his soldiers of raping them. So, instead of just uh, throwing bricks and arresting people... He was torturing and raping. Man, he, did, he couldn't even let him off, neither? For this offense, Noriega was bailed out by his commanders yet again. He was confined to his quarters for 30 days. Two years later, his rapey ways would land him in hot water again, <sighs> this time for sexually assaulting a young girl and beating the shit out of her 12-year-old brother that was trying to protect her. Damn, that's fucked up, man, Manuel. Uh, it's fucked up, Manuel. That ain't right, Manuel. It's not, man. You need to get. You need to eat the fix your next fucking time life. you think about raping somebody. Count to ten, okay? You, you need to fix your fucking life. Yeah, you do. Lucky we ain't back in the fifteen hundreds. <laughs> you know what the Spanish would do? I to would you? do nothing. The Spanish. 
I wouldn't do nothing. I'm just saying this. That's bogus, man. Look, man. That's bogus. Do you know the Spanish? You know what they would do? They would put you in, like, leather, right? And lay you out on the beach. And then every few hours, they would come dump a bunch of salt water mm-hmm. on the leather and you. And the leather would just get tighter and tighter and tighter until it broke all your bones in your chest God. and shit. Yeah. It's brutal. Yeah. I wouldn't have said shit if I was in the 1500s. No. Like, if he beat the shit out of this mother and raped this motherfucker. Man, we'd be you... we'd be long dead if it was the 1500s. Yeah. Just life expectancy-wise. We'd oh, be old men. Yeah. We'd be in walkers and shit. Now, this raping this little girl and beating her brother, that was way too much to sweep under the rug. So Noriega was sent on a special new assignment. He was going back to school like Billy Madison. Located at the U.S. Army Base Fort Gullick in the Panama Canal Zone, the School of the Americas, now known as WINSEC, is a Department of Defense school that teaches infantry training, heavy weapons, artillery, motor mechanics, medical school, and food service to Latin American countries looking to modernize their militaries. The, the effect of a school like this was twofold. The U.S. government could sell weapons and guarantee training, and it ingrained loyalty and gratefulness to the United States. WINSEC stands for the Western Hemisphere Institute of Security Cooperation. So... It's an American-funded yeah. school. It's and, it's run by the Department of Defense, and we had it set up in Panama Canal, right? Right. It's now moved since we're not allowed to have military bases anywhere, but it still does exist. I mean, te- that is some bullshit because if you think about it, they another country set up a school for military, and your shit, you wouldn't think they would train when they train them. They wouldn't train them for America. They train them with American tactics, American weapons, like well, just the the, the loyalty, thing. exactly yeah. the brainwashing. But that's, yeah. I mean, that was all part of it. You know what though? Noriega loved this school. After taking classes for about half a year, Noriega graduated and was promoted to first lieutenant. From there, it was time for his first trip to the United States. Ooh. Unfortunately for him, it wasn't a sightseeing tour. He was taking a hardcore course in infantry movement, counterintelligence, intelligence gathering, jungle warfare, and psychological operations at Fort Bragg in North Carolina. Noriega's new assignment in 1967 upon his return from the States was to disrupt labor unions that had formed in the United Fruit Company. He would go undercover as a worker and bust the unions up from the inside through blackmail and intimidation. He was damn good at sniffing out communists, which was lucky for him because his superior officer fucking hated communists. Noriega was quickly moved up the chain to captain and was one step closer to head of military intelligence. During this time, he also continued passing along intel to U.S. operatives, of course, and Lyndon B. Johnson, who was president at the time, concluded that Noriega would be a valuable asset and a rising star in the Panamanian military. Mm-hmm. It's kind of fucked up that uh, the U.S. president is is talking about valuable assets and rising stars in a, <laughs> in a sovereign nation's military. We shouldn't have that much focus on military officers of other countries. Later, as the maximum ruler of Panama, he would continue to wear his Winsec patch on his general uniform and keep incredibly close ties with the school, of which... He was very proud. 
Remember how I said that Panama elected its first president and vice president in 1919, mm-hmm. which only led to a string of presidents being elected and killed or deposed over and over until 1968? Mm-hmm. Well, that's because in May of 1968, Arias Madrid was elected president, and only 11 days later, he was removed from office by the National Guard, at this time being led by Colonel Omar Torrijos. It took a while, but in 1972, Torrijos was given full executive powers of the country for a period of six years. Damn. At the end of that time, there would be a fair and open election, he said. He, what Colonel Torrijos basically said after removing the president was, right. I'm going to be the dictator for six years, and I'll give the country back to whoever you all want to. Which, I, I, has that ever happened in the history of dictatorships? People don't, once they once they rise to top power, they don't usually hand it over without being killed or removed. Noriega was promoted to head of military intelligence under Torrijos and was also officially placed on the CIA payroll at $200,000 a year with access to an extra $100,000 to buy materials to help gather intel for the United States. Hmm. He instead, of course, used it to have lavish parties. When the time came to elect a new president in 1978, the new guy was just a figurehead. The actual political power was still in the hands of the military, who were controlled by Torrijos. He would remain the actual leader of the country until his death in 1981. Mm. After Torrijos' death, General Noriega took control of the National Guard and with the help of U.S. funds, rebranded them the Panamanian Defense Force and got them all the latest equipment and training. He quietly and highly recommended that all of the soldiers get a second job either smuggling or running protection for cocaine smugglers. Damn. He, he, they were setting he, it up. His own military to run defense for these smugglers. He yeah, wanted to help them. Go get a second job. Because the second job become the first job. Well, Panama was cash thirsty, my friend. They didn't have a... They didn't have their own currency, right? Mm. So... Their national currency was the USD, and any way he could get that in there. I mean, he turned off money laundering laws. He turned off banks. He turned on bank secrecy laws. They didn't have to report anything. Banks could operate independently, basically. Mm. No oversight whatsoever. Set up a front business in Panama and just rinse all your money through Panamanian banks. It's mm. it's brilliant. It's It really was brilliant if you were that kind of person. Yeah, but there still taxing that shit right noriega's getting his tax yeah, yeah of course he's getting his 15 percent off the top or whatever it right. is taxation no taxation without representation yep that's why we started throwing crates of tea into the boston sea back <laughs> in 1775 six i can't remember mm, no, i thought that because they wanted to make some lipton brisk <laughs> out of the ocean <laughs> we will turn this ocean to tea get, get the lemons <laughs> Florencio Flores Aguiar Mm. inherited the figurehead presidency from Torrijos and was ousted in a quiet, bloodless coup at the hands of the PDF in March 1982. Mm. General Noriega had the title of de facto ruler. He preferred to remain behind the scenes, never officially becoming president to avoid the public scrutiny that comes with that title. 
He also didn't have strong political convictions one way or the other, and used simple military nationalism to rally and unify supporters, as we see every successful dictator do. Mm -hmm. You basically say, rah, 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 Panama number one, get rid of the foreigners, blah, 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 shut down the borders, all that stuff. Everybody does it if you're a dictator, that's just the way she goes. Now, the beginnings of new regimes are always tough and messy. You got to kill a lot of the old people first that are ingrained in the old Mm. system, right? So it took about a year for Noriega to assert 100% control over the government. And when he did, he started distancing himself publicly from the U.S. He asked Ronald Reagan if he would kindly remove the battleships from the seas around Panama and please restrict military flight for only the defense of the canal. He didn't want new soldiers coming in, and he didn't want warships off the coast of his country. Mm-hmm. While officially Noriega was keeping the U.S. at arm's length, he remained in close contact with both the CIA and the DEA. <laughs> he served as a back-channel go-between with Fidel Castro in Cuba, since we weren't officially allowed to talk to him, and would have secret meetings with Ronald Reagan and his National Security Council. So he would go... To Cuba and holler at them people for the US. For the U.S., yeah. By proxy, he would go talk to them for mm-hmm. them. Since we had them embargoed and sanctioned and all that. We didn't like Castro too much. We weren't mm-hmm. a fan of Fidel. That, that middleman and shit. Middleman, that's right. And I'm sure, and you know, he's making a healthy profit off the yeah. for it. Hey, the, the, hey the, through the back door and through the front door. God damn. And what I mean with that, he's going to make the little extra bread off the American and whatever he try to get from them you gonna try to either lure it or make it more than what they said the, the deal's gonna get the deal's gonna be different once you get to the table oh yeah you know on nintendo you could only move eight directions <laughs> and on super nintendo yeah. you could move 16 <laughs> and this boy's getting money in 16 yeah. directions that's pretty good nori's charm wasn't for everybody in 1986, the U.S. ambassador to Panama started accusing Noriega of heinous human rights violations. And U.S. senators that were still bitter about having to give back the Panama Canal were furious at Panama's national debt, which was fast approaching $4 billion. And who do you think was lending them that $4 billion? It was the United States of America. In the summer of 1987, over 100 special interest groups banded together to form what came to be known as the Civic Crusade. They organized general strikes all across the country in protest of Noriega's regime. That same year, 1987, the U.S. passed a bill forcing the CIA to disclose everything they knew about Noriega's involvement in drug trade, arms trade, money laundering, and human rights violations. By mid-June, the protests had gotten so severe in Panama that Noriega suspended freedom of the press and the right to free assembly in order to cling to power in any way he could. The U.S. Secretary of State begged Noriega to just please step down. At the same time, the U.S. Senate officially declared him a monster and asked him to at least show a tiny bit of respect for human rights and exile himself away from power. The Panamanian Defense Force responded with an attack on the U.S. Embassy. They tried to cover it up as a protester gang attack, but some of the captured culprits were without a doubt PDF operatives. (laughs) The next day, the U.S. suspended military and economic aid to the country. Still, Noriega kept needling his old pal Reagan, by welcoming enemies of the U.S. such as Libyan President Muammar Gaddafi and President of Nicaragua Daniel Ortega 
for official visits. Hosting them, having big, big bad guy parties, you know, basically. Nice little soiree. Just needling, yeah. just trying to say, hey, look at all this craziness happening down here, United States. Yeah, right, just dangling in front of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I got my boy Gaddafi out here, you know what I mean? I got uh, my boy coming down here, too. The Nicaraguan, you know, my dude from uh, Nicaragua. Daniel Ortega. He was a bad boy, too. Well, was he a bad boy? I don't know. There's a lot of things where I'm like, presidents of the U.S. have done have done bad stuff before, you know what I mean? I just don't know. I don't, sometimes I, I have to look at the history books and I have to go, boy, we sure were trying to further our own interests yeah. with stuff like this. But I don't know. I mean, there's no doubt that uh, he did some bad stuff. Our boy Noriega did a lot of bad stuff. Yep. On August 12th, Nori struck out in the international press, accusing U.S. spies of fueling the protesters, saying they were the ones that actually attacked the U.S. Embassy. The 1980s, United States was cocaine crazy. Nowhere more so than Miami, Florida. Even the police were involved in illicit activities, if you can believe that for a second. One summer, seven off-duty officers staged their own private raid on a ship loaded with 400 kilos of cocaine. The smuggler crew on board, thinking this was an actual raid, jumped overboard and all three drowned in the Miami River. The seven officers were apprehended and convicted on drug and corruption charges and are known as the Miami River Seven. The cocaine that didn't enter the country via the Miami River or Miami International Airport came in on very fast cigarette boats that fed off huge drug supply motherships floating out in international well, so maybe waters. like, what, the two ounces that they didn't smuggle through Miami? Exactly. <laughs> the, yeah. the, oh, we still got two ounces yeah. left. Sweep up the bottom of the ship. Yeah, put it on yeah, put it, <laughs> the leftovers. Because when they was talking, they had that shit just fucking... You're just flying in. That's the, that's the no, shaky no shake. No checks. Yeah, dude. The cocaine spread its way north throughout the country, mm. and two weeks later, stacks and stacks of cash would funnel its way back down to Florida and into offshore hey, bank dude. accounts in the Panama, Panama and Bahamas. I mean, the drug trade led to an increased crime wave, mm-hmm. as you can well expect. Yep. There was no Cosa Nostra. No power structure or set hierarchy for the Florida drug trade. Mm. That's how fast it cropped up and kept going. It couldn't be contained by just one organization. And as such, there were hundreds of competitors vying for the throne. Mm. This free enterprise led to a bloodbath as dope dealers and smugglers alike competed head-to-head for precious territory. Mm. Like a game of fucking... Thrones. (laughs) Dude. Over this one, damn, the struggle ain't enough for everybody? No, there was. That's the thing. There was. There definitely was. Hey, but motherfuckers just wanted to just rule. Dude, yeah. They wanted to bang it out in the streets. And, and that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Like, motherfucker, we start killing motherfuckers mm. over it and shit. And mm. that's where the problem come in. At. That's where you need, like, regulations yeah. in your capitalism. Yeah. yeah. Can't just be super free market or you'll just yeah. bump off the guys yeah. at top you. somebody else selling that shit. In 1979 and 1980, a war broke out between the cocaine cowboys of South Florida. <sighs> and it was shoot first, ask questions later. So the murder rate jumped in Dade mm. County. From 349 to 569, and then to 621 the next year. Law enforcement estimated that 40% of the murders in Miami were drug-related, 
and 25% were killed by automatic weapons. <laughs> Murder reached such a fever pitch that the Dade County coroners had to keep two refrigerated trucks outside his office for overflow. It seemed like to me, once they get the automatic weapons, like, dude, we just go shoot just, just because we got these. Yep. These things will spray. Yeah, so. like, dude, let's just go out. <laughs> let's just go out. That's we got bad. automatic weapons now. That's bad. Especially if and this police in, has got pissed. And this was in Miami, too. Mm. Like, yo, th- nobody never had this shit before. Hell no. Hell no. Like we, Nobody was turning yeah. the streets into war zones. Man, yeah, that's for sure. You know, like, you just go, you don't want to flash the pistol? Like, nah, we just go shoot this yeah. motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, we got to. Zip them. Yeah. The situation was only made ten times worse when in 1980, Fidel Castro lifted the emigration ban and 175,000 Cuban refugees made their way for South Florida shores. This became known as the Mario Boat Lift, named after the port in Cuba where it originated. Mm. Several thousand of these refugees were hardened criminals that were directly released from Castro's jails. Mm. It was part of a little plan he had to keep crime increasing in America. And that was he he sent some of the worst of the worst. That was a part of that Scarface story. Exactly. You know what? I forgot yeah. about that. Exactly. Yeah. That's how he got to America. But all of them was criminals, though, right? You mm. said? Mm. No, 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 no. There was a lot of just regular poor people, too. Oh, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. But thousands were criminals, hard-ass criminals, murderers. And you unleashed them into the... Sent them to the U.S. US. with no paperwork, no nothing, no documentation. And let them just ride. Mm. It was smart on Cuba's part, because they could get rid of a bunch of shit, just send it off. That's 175,000 less mouths to feed, especially bad boy mouths. Yeah, but they didn't help them. They still had more. Yeah, they did. But I bet it helped a little bit. Crime became so pervasive in Miami that the top business leaders came together as a consortium and begged Ronald Reagan for help. What? Yeah, like the, like the CEOs of major yeah, companies. Yeah, couldn't y'all just tell them motherfuckers to be like... And you know the great Republican Ronald Reagan. That's the only thing he'll jump for is if businesses are in jeopardy. When there's money. And when there's money on the line. Yeah. You got that right. That's the only thing that makes the U.S. jump. Every president since Nixon knew America had a growing drug problem, but nobody knew exactly what should or even could be done about it. By the mid-80s, it became clear that bang-and-bust arrests weren't doing shit to curtail drugs coming into the country, as the quantity only increased year over year. A bang-and-bust is where you, uh, you know, it's the wire. You go bang some some street dealers' heads in, some boat captains, low-level bullshit. You're not going to get up the chain Get the street-level people, and then the next week, you have another stash spot open. Yep. With another 14-year-old running it. it's There's a limitless supply of 14-year-olds, yeah. and there's a limitless supply of cocaine. So it's always yeah. going to move. Bang and bust will limitless never work. Limitless supply of 14 Certified 14 out the door. In 1982, the price of a Colombian kilo was $50,000. And six years later, in 1988, the price had dropped 400%. To $10,000. It was clear the war on drugs wasn't crimping supply in any way, shape, or form. Miami was directly in the path of the biggest cocaine transshipment route in history. Yeah, bro. I mean, you had everybody that could get cocaine out of Panama doing it. Perfect. I'm talking about people that don't even do it did it. 
There's a guy named Steve Kalish that got caught. He was a, a, a an American fella. I almost I didn't really have enough time to add him in here, but I wanted to. Well, so he, he just, was doing pot. He uh-huh. was with Noriega. He was importing yeah. so much pot on barges and shit. And uh, that's a really good story too. But yeah, seriously, yeah, man, it's getting under the radar. Even though his shit wasn't as as worse. long as you had mo- like seed money to get an investment started yeah. to buy cocaine and bring it in, like people you would never expect were doing that. Well, I'm nefarious about, yeah, uh-huh. folks. Yeah, they wanted to go to Panama for right. sure. Just get it like a little dime bag. I don't Ooh. know how. I don't know how cocaine works, but <laughs> I get a little nickel bag a and then nickel. you go. Yeah, go down to Panama for a nickel bag. Yeah. And shit. Let me get a little piece on my key here. Like you came all the way to America for this? Mm. It's cheap. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's pure. What do they call a Peruvian marching powder? Bolivian marching powder? I can't remember. It's probably all of them. It'll help you march. I know that much. <laughs> People wanna know. <laughs> <laughs> we are tigers. We know what was in that front. We know what the frost it was, motherfucker. We knew what that frost in the end of Lake, motherfucker. Yellow ass cat. Great my ass, motherfucker. Yeah. Get out of here. <laughs> All the federal agencies beefed up their presence in Miami. Customs added 130 agents. DEA added 60. FBI added 43. And the ATF sent 45 to try and search out the source of these automatic weapons that seem yeah. to be popping up in every man, woman, and child's waistband down yeah, there. get those automatic weapons out of there. At least give it a shot. Give it a good run. Oh, yeah, because they're not going to get those out of there. Cause- no. The city of Miami police were the worst of all. On top of the Miami River 7... 15 other cops would be fired and tried for stealing and distributing hundreds and hundreds of kilos. Money talks and can break the morals of just about anyone. And the cartel has billions of dollars set aside just to corrupt cops, politicians, and judges. The U.S. Justice Department thought they could battle these enterprises the same way Hercules battled the Hydra. Cut off all the heads, cauterize the stumps, and bury the immortal head. Bang and busts were only good for one step up the drug chain of command. Law enforcement's main issue at this point was making the jump from street-level dealers and smuggler boat captains to actual suppliers at the hearts of their drug empires. Thanks to the Racketeering Influence Criminal Organization mm-hmm. statute, which was passed in 1970 to bring down the New York Mafia, they had a way to tie everyone together with a pretty pink bow. Congress interpreted the law as groups of people associated beyond a doubt, whether by gang or business relations, could all be held accountable for the crimes committed by any individual member of them. It was established quickly that no one was safe from Rico, Mm -mm. not the CEO or the lowest of the lowest bag boys. As long as the associates shared a common goal of profiting off criminal activity, they could be labeled a criminal enterprise and subject to Rico prosecution. Like we said, drug cartels are hydras. The Medellin cartel, for example, famous for Pablo Escobar, was comprised of over 200 different crime families that banded together to coordinate the production, distribution, and transportation of cocaine. Mm. That's all well and good for them. They're a drug empire. Our subject, Noriega, on the other hand, never touched or looked at shipments Mm. of illegal drugs, but... 
He would use his PDF to foster and protect cartel shipments, mm-hmm. sell them chemicals, which are vital to manufacture cocaine. That's definitely Rico. If we was Rico in it, that's definitely Rico. Oh, that's Rico. Yeah. I mean, and and I have more examples here. Allow them to set up two state-of-the-art cocaine manufacturing labs in Panama, and on one specific occasion, accepted a $5 million payment to harbor cartel hitmen after they murdered the Colombian Minister of Justice. Mm. So... Let's circle back around to why hasn't the U.S. acted on any of this yet if we're so anti-drug, Herschel? Mm -hmm. Well, we already know the Panama Canal. We need that. But there has to be other reasons. It turns out American spies had been writing false reports to hide any of Noriega's wrongdoings. And only highlight the good stuff he's done. (laughs) Really? And the politicians who ate these reports up as 100% factual adopted the mentality of Noriega may be a shitty bastard, but he's our shitty Dude, bastard. it's got to be so much money. So much. Thrown around just, you could get caught in this shit. In a shit storm. You could be a good dude and be like, yo, here's some money. I'll tell you what, if I'm, when Ma had the cancer, yeah. right, before she had the surgery and stuff, I would have accepted that kind of money and been like, all That's right, now saying. it's paid for. Now, now everything's set. Yep. But it's just thrown. It's probably just thrown. Think how much like, casually you might get some get some bread. Think about one of these guys coming up to you and just handing you a $10,000 stack and saying like, shut up. This is your tip. Yeah. For I, what? I couldn't what did imagine. I, do? I couldn't imagine. That would change my fucking life. <laughs> like, what did I do? You drove the trailblazer here. <laughs> but you're also recoded now as Ooh. a criminal. Take all this shit back. Ignorance is not an excuse. Ignorance of the law is not an excuse, Herschel. Oh my god. Wrapped up into this shit over some money. You're in the drug game now, bruh. Over some motherfucking money. The he may be a bastard, but he's our bastard mentality really started to fall apart after the 1985 murder of Hugo Spatafora. Mm-hmm. Spatafora was a physician and political activist who had first clashed with Manuel when they were both members of Torrijos government. Despite not being a member of Noriega's opposition party, he became a vocal critic of Manuel after returning to mm-hmm. Panama from Guatemala in 1981. In September 85, he accused Noriega of having connections to drug trafficking and announced his intent to expose him. Mm-hmm. While traveling by bus from Costa Rica to visit his brother in Panama, Spatafora was detained by PDF at the border crossing. His decapitated body was later found wrapped in a USPS mailbag showing signs of brutal torture. Mm-hmm. U.S. intelligence widely implicated Noriega as having been involved thanks to a tapped phone conversation in which the arresting officer, the man who uh, took Spatafora into custody, mm. called the general and said, we have the rabid dog. Noriega responded, and what do we do with rabid dogs? Kill him. This murder badly damaged Noriega's image <laughs> all over the globe and created a crisis for the Panamanian regime. The U.S. began to view him as more of a liability than mm-hmm. an asset. What? Oh, now. Yep. Now just right now. Yep. They had to do this dude was going to become what he... Come on. I they just, already knew he was yeah. doing this shit, man. It's just like, now it's public. Now the world knows about it. And when now, it's and just it's a couple... They save a face. Exactly. When it's just a couple CIA guys that knows about it, you can just right. sweep that shit under the rug. But when you kill a, yeah. a, a critic when yeah. you silence a dissenter forever you're you've 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 created you've done an international crime 
1989, Panama was beginning to bubble over. The civic crusade had more support than ever, and the sanctions on the country from the U.S. were making people very, very hungry. Noriega remained committed to staying in power. On October 3rd, 1989, several lesser-known PDF officers back-channeled American officials and said that they were going to make a move against Noriega that evening, and they would need American support like roadblocks and artillery. Mm. The conspirators made their move. It was a horrible and bloody attempt, but ultimately a failure. Though they were able to get Noriega in a room at gunpoint, eventually they were overwhelmed by PDF and forced to surrender. Mm. And of course, they were summarily executed. Why had the rebels' call for assistance to the U.S. gone unanswered? U.S. forces were prepped and ready for assault, but never received the order from the White House, who had failed to act either quickly or decisively. For weeks after the failed coup, there was yelling in the White House, everyone eager to blame everyone else for the failure. Their first step was replacing the general in charge of Panama, and uh, once that didn't show any immediate results, they blamed the democratic process for not allowing them to act quicker, and then finally they blamed the dead plotters of the coup. After all, they never specified exactly what and when and where they needed support, and they hadn't signed anything guaranteeing they would hand over Noriega after he was captured. The Bush yeah. administration had learned its lesson well, however. Talking with Noriega had a way of never resolving any problems. The failed coup was a huge embarrassment to the president and his advisors, and he vowed to never be caught flat-footed the next time the opportunity to remove Noriega presented itself. Mm. Following the failed coup, senior Bush officials began considering repealing a 1976 executive order that prohibited the CIA from participating in the assassination of foreign leaders. Man, Just 40 or so days later, in mid November, the president approved a $3 million budget to recruit PDF officials and Panamanian exiles to build a puppet army to plan and carry out General Noriega's overthrow. The federal lawyers in Washington and the Miami District Attorney's Office started corroborating super hard after the failed October coup. Both federal and state grand juries were indicting Noriega on three mm -hmm. charges of drug trafficking, with the final one accusing him of turning Panama into a shipping platform for South American cocaine that was destined for the U.S. and allowing drug proceeds to be hidden in Panamanian banks. They thought it was more realistic than ever that Noriega would be apprehended and extradited to the states, mm -hmm. so they wanted to make sure their cases were airtight and decide who would take General Noriega to trial first. From the moment trial prep started, the prosecutors knew they were walking into a virtual minefield. Noriega's dream team of high-priced lawyers would demand all of the CIA and DEA reports be declassified, and they were all glowing reviews, including Ooh. commendations, plaques, medals, and trophies for helping fight the war on drugs. Right. Furthermore, the Noriega case was what's known as a historical conspiracy, or a dry conspiracy, meaning there was no physical evidence linking Noriega to drug trafficking. The case, as of now, stood solely in the balance of testimony. No U.S. police or government agencies had ever seen Noriega interact with a drug or even a single gun. Mm, that's the way they wanted it. That's He's been doing it good. I mean, he, he made his defense's job pretty easy at that point, but we'll see how it becomes less easy later on. Not to mention, everyone the government could produce as a witness were currently in prison and would be exchanging their testimony for years off their sentence. That's not like bullshit. I'll say anything. The defense would have a field day with this type of witness. Yes. 
On December 16th, exactly one day after the meeting with the lawyers, Panamanian Defense Force soldiers in Panama City shot and killed a Marine lieutenant at a roadblock. An American Navy officer and his wife had witnessed the killing and were beaten severely and arrested. The PDF responded officially by saying the dead Marine and three others had taken pot shots at Noriega's military HQ, (laughs) wounding two people. Obviously, the American embassy denied this allegation. The U.S. now had a legal right to declare war according to international law. And at 7.20 a.m. on Wednesday, December 20th, Chase's birthday, (laughs) President Bush got on TV and told the nation that overnight he had dispatched 24,000 fighting men to Panama. He explained that for the last two years, the U.S. and other countries had tried to deal nicely with Noriega, but those days were gone. The goals of the invasion were simple. Safeguard the lives of Americans. Defend democracy in Panama. Uh combat drug trafficking, and, of course, protect the Panama Canal. A few hours later, President Bush signed a memorandum with his pal, Secretary of Defense, and future vice president for his son, Dick Cheney, authorizing the arrest of General Noriega for the distribution of narcotics to the United States. U.S. infantry and airborne forces had taken control of the canal, surrounded major PDF locations, and leveled Noriega's military HQ in Panama City. This was a route from the first American boot on the ground. Panama had, at maximum, 6,000 troops fit for fighting. (laughs) So 6,000 versus 24,000 American troops. That's probably just the first wave if they really wanted Mm. to. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's like like pushing your pinky finger out at somebody. Navy SEAL teams crippled high-powered boats and Learjets that were hangered in Panama City, taking away any means that the general could escape. The next day, Thursday, December 21st, my grandpa's birthday, the war was over. There were only a few small pockets of resistance left in Panama. Most of the PDF's top brass had surrendered rather than face certain death. Mm. Still, Noriega was nowhere to be found, and his capture was of the utmost importance for the Bush administration to save face with the UN. Speaking of the UN... France, China, and the Soviet Union had already taken steps to denounce the invasion. But the hugest disappointment about the U.S. military action came from within the military itself. They had 23 dead and 300 wounded with no dictator in chains to show for it. From Noriega's point of view, the American invasion was absolutely overwhelming, even for an expert military strategist like him. His main task now was getting out of Panama with his life intact. For the first few days, Nori stayed holed up in an apartment with no water or power with his top military advisors. He learned his wife and daughters had safely made it to the Cuban embassy and were granted asylum, but that route was now closed to him as U.S. troops were surrounding both the Cuban and Nicaraguan embassies. Mm, we're not going nowhere, motherfucker. He, the U.S. thought of everything, it turns out. <laughs> but they didn't know that he, they, they probably thought he might have crossed into there already, though, right? They, that's definitely was their first thought. But then when he didn't pop up in any of the other countries, they figured he's still got to be here. So he's going to be trying to get a hold of Cuba because he's good friends with Fidel. Or Nicaragua, good yeah. friends with Ortega. By Sunday, Christmas Eve, the gig was up. Noriega called the Vatican Embassy and requested asylum from the Pope. An embassy car was sent to get the maximum ruler from a Panama City Dairy Queen parking lot and take him back to the safe haven of the Papal Embassy. Did he get some fucking ice cream? I think he got a blizzard. I think he probably did, bro. <laughs> he deserves it. He's been on the run for a while. Hell yeah. This half-surrender was great news for the White House. 
They had taken heavy criticism for their lack of progress in capturing Nori, with the media claiming the military presence was fueling looting and disorder in the Panamanian capital. Exhausted and virtually out of options, Noriega spent the next 10 days in safety while the Vatican, United States, and Panamanian diplomats argued over whether or not to hand him over. On Christmas Day, the Vatican embassy was surrounded by U.S. armored personnel carriers and helicopters circle overhead with loudspeakers. They kept repeating a message from Dick Cheney, it said, It is U.S. policy that we would like to have Mr. Noriega. In the days after the invasion, over 50 file cabinets worth of intel were carted off. The U.S. investigators hoped to find tape recordings and specific financial records tied to cocaine, but absolutely none existed. The Army bragged about finding 110 kilos of stacked and packaged white powder. Upon closer inspection, it turned out to be ingredients to make tamales. And what did they do? They just threw it out? Yeah, because it's not 110 pounds of cocaine. <laughs> or maybe it was 110 pounds of cocaine. Why not just sell this off? It was then? maize flour. Corn flour. To make fucking tortillas? To make tortillas. Nachos. Not Tuesday, but I feel like some goddamn tacos. I could go for a Taco Bell right now. Oh, I could go for a taco <sighs> up the street right now. Yeah, there you go. Taco El Rincon. El Rincon. Noriega's 10-day stint at the Vatican Embassy was less than luxurious. He had a single bed a nightstand, a broken TV, and a crucifix nailed to the wall. He was unable to sleep throughout the duration of his stay as the U.S. Army loudspeakers were blaring rock and roll at the embassy 24-7. Soon, they would cut off the electricity and with it the air conditioning and started blaring snippets of George Bush speeches. <sighs> On Wednesday afternoon, the Vatican ambassador came to Noriega with their decision. They considered the general a refugee from criminal, not political charges, and thus would revoke his asylum at noon the following day. Mm. His choices were slim take his chances with the new Panamanian government, who certainly had no control over the angry mobs in the streets, or he could surrender himself to America. Noriega, ever the forward thinker, asked the Americans through the Vatican to confirm that he would not face the death penalty if he turned himself in. He would not. Just trafficking charges. <laughs> Just the trafficking charges. In that case, Noriega agreed to surrender so long as he was given a phone to contact his wife and kids. The surrender remained a secret until he was off Panamanian soil, and the officer he surrendered to be of equal or higher rank. Done, 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 and done, the U.S. said. Mm -hmm. At 8.50 p.m. on January 3rd, 1990, dressed in his full general regalia, <laughs> Noriega surrendered himself to the U.S. Army. He was chained, cuffed, ankle-chained, and ushered onto a C-130 aircraft and prepped for the five-hour, 15-minute flight time to Miami. When they say prep, what they mean? It just got him comfortable. I don't think they brought him peanuts or nothing. Yeah, I thought he maybe yeah. roughed him up. Yeah. <laughs> Gave him a few shots. Yeah. Noriega was held in a cell at the Miami Federal Courthouse until his trial began in September of 91. Mm. The trial would last seven months, and he was convicted on eight of the ten charges of drug trafficking, racketeering, and money laundering. Mm. On July 10, 92, Noriega was sentenced to 40 years in prison. He would serve that time in the Federal Correctional Institution, Miami. Under Article 85 of the Geneva Convention, Noriega was considered a prisoner of war. This status meant that he had a private cell furnished with electronics and exercise equipment that was nicknamed the Presidential Suite. Yeah. Nori's prison sentence was reduced from 40 years to <laughs> 17 years. The El Facto Suite. The El Facto? Oh, what they thought he called himself? Uh, El, oh, de facto. El, de, El de facto <laughs> the suite. El de facto ruler suite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Even though L means the, so it's the, the. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> El de facto. Uh, Noriega's prison sentence was reduced from 40 years to 17 years for good behavior, and thus his U.S. incarceration ended on September 9th, 2007. But his road wasn't over. In August of 07, a federal judge approved the French government's request to extradite Noriega to France after his release. On July 7th, France found him guilty and sentenced him to seven years in prison. On September 23rd, 2011, a French court ordered a conditional release for Noriega to be extradited to Panama to stand trial for his crimes in his own country. Damn. He was sentenced to 60 years to be served in Panama City. On February 5th, 2012, Noriega was taken to the hospital because of high blood pressure and a brain hemorrhage. He remained in the hospital for four days before being returned to prison. It was announced Noriega had been diagnosed with a benign brain tumor. On March 7, 2017, Noriega suffered another brain hemorrhage during surgery, which left him in critical condition in the ICU. He died on May 29, 2017, at the age of 83. Yeah, bro, he wasn't gonna do that 60 years, bro. And when the, the current president, on the day of Noriega's death... They the killed current, that dude. No, they didn't. He was 83 years old and he had a brain tumor. Yeah, but... he no. He, you you, no, would, you think that's is what it was? Absolutely. He had the brain tumor. He was there for eight years. Okay, they okay. killed him way before. Okay, that. they didn't. Well, they said they tried to save him, but yeah. listen, doctors can't. That's pretty international. That they doctors can oh, do no harm. They got to save you. Yeah, uh, but I would say this: oh, no, man. he was an old ass man. Okay, he lived a good life. Well, no, he didn't. He'd spent a lot of it in prison. But he had some fun as the dictator. So what age did he actually get caught then? So if he got caught in 1990, he would be uh, 40-ish. That's a pretty good... um, That's a good run. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good run. Living lavish and shit? Mm. Yeah. (laughs) That's a good run. What do you think of my story, Herschel? The story was actually bad. I'm glad I heard that shit. You like the Noriega? Yeah. You a big fan? No, but still the rapper. He's cool. Yeah. He could keep his name. Yeah. Or whatever. But the rapes, nah. The rapes is no yeah. good. But I get the, the whole, you know what I'm saying, you become friends with Gaddafi and the Nicaraguan president. You know, you want to slap the U.S. on their hand. Or, oh, yeah. And it's not even just the U.S. It's any, anything, even with your own household. Like, you're not going to let somebody come in your household and say some Put fucked up shit up. to you. Yeah, yeah, like, dude, no, okay, well, I got you if it's going to go down like that. I agree. Yeah. So, Noriega, bad man. Real bad man. But also, the U.S. is so fucking heavy-handed. Mm. The U.S. will come into your country mm. and kick your fucking dog for no reason. Yeah. And it's because I think a lot of it has to do with uh, President Bush being embarrassed. And that's the only thing he could do is... Strike back and declare war. Because he didn't like getting jerked around. Our boy Noriega did jerk around a lot of presidents. Because that Panama Canal, man. You got to ship it. You got to. If it fits, it ships. If it fits, it ships. That's how she goes. Fish and chips. All right, everybody. We will see you next week for another episode of Bumblebutt Podcast X. X. And Herschel, yep. did you enjoy your Late first time. podcast? Yeah, of course I did. But you, it's, 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 it's gravy. It's I'm gravy? Not even, not even podcasting went on with you. Just hanging out? Yeah. Hearing a story? Yeah. Oh, that's the way I like Very it. Very great story. That's why I want my, the listener, our listeners yeah. to feel, too. Welcome aboard, Herschel. I can't wait yep. to... I'm, uh, I'm back. 
We'll uh, we'll we'll get, get down to business time. with the second show coming out, like a between the bumbles type thing. We'll do that pretty soon. Yep. And but let us get our footing first. Yeah, it's true. Mm. But you ain't seen nothing yet. Ain't seen nothing. Uh, yet. Uh, Come on, baby, 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 baby,